You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Did we, was that was that it? I don't know. Hi everybody. <laughs> We're having kind of a casual day today. Um, yes. This is some of our go-to comfy wear, and we are almost completely out of it. So we wanted to just start off real quick by telling you about our sweatshirts. Um, they're also called pullovers, I guess. I don't know. We last year had Justice design for us um, some Restore 7 merchandise, I guess is what you call it. Um, and, you know, we've, we've kind of been conflicted about it because we're like, I mean, we want to stay in our lane and stay in our focus. And we're not like trying to create a new wardrobe for anybody. And we're certainly not trying to make a lot of money off of merch. So we also know that we are stewarding a global community of reformers, people like you who know you're called to change the world. And um, something happens when you create community and you know that, you know, number one, you can kind of have some things in common, language, the way that we talk about um, issues going on in the world, language, the way we talk about the kingdom, etc. But also like what, having options of things to wear where you're like, um, you know that it's part of your tribe kind of thing. So that's part of the reason why we created it. But we also are like, if we're going to create Restore 7 on um, shirts, then we should also have it be something that you guys can wear, that we can wear, that's a conversation starter. And Yeah, <clears throat> well, both of those. Let me add a, a third one. So yeah, your tribe and people, it just, uh, yeah, it, it marks you in that kind of way. And, and then... But there's a reality that we talk about as well that, you know, what you wear, that's another way you prophesy. You prophesy, and we think, I think this is uh, prophetic clothes as well. You're making a declaration when you, when you say the things we say. Even the R7, Restore 7, he's restoring seven areas of society. He's yeah. doing, restoring seven areas of his face to society. So that, that's what I do anytime I, yep. I, I, I wear these. Uh, as well. Of course, they can only see the front right now. But. And that's why we even, um, you know, we're asking, Lord, what do we call this ministry years ago and Restore 7? We were like, even in the name of it, we want it to be prophesying. We want it to be something that immediately comes to mind. What What is the whole purpose and goal that this ministry exists? It's to restore the seven aspects of who God is to the earth. And so if people, if you wear these and people ask you, what's our seven? You don't even have to bring up our ministry. You can just say it's all about restoring these seven primary aspects of who God is. And we every nation happens to have seven primary areas of culture. And we were meant to experience God in in an incredible way in these areas of culture that are currently broken. But what I believe is that God is restoring um, who he is to, to society. And so anyway, the backs of these, um, we're out of the hoodies pretty much. I think I have like four... <laughs> small um, of the army green hoodies. Um, if you happen to see those on, on our website, restore7.org bookstore. But I wanted to show you the back of these. So um, both of these are the same, but they're just different colors. So the one that I'm wearing right now is this with the light blue, as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk, H stands for Habakkuk 214. So again, it's a conversation starter. As the waters cover the sea, what, like, what's the, and then you tell people, well, there's actually a, a verse in the Bible that tells us where everything is headed. It's headed towards 
the knowledge of the glory of God, how good he is, covering the earth, just as completely as water covers yeah. the sea, the ocean. Yeah. And um, it's just a, a really great conversation starter. Anyway, the size that I have is a small. I'm wearing a small right now. It's um, fitted, you know, tightly around my hips. So if you like it to be really loose, then you'd want a much bigger size than a small for you ladies. Um, and what size do you have on? Do you know? I believe it's a large. It's okay, a large. so he's wearing a large. It goes all the way up to an extra large. And um, again, the back of this one is exactly the same, but just with white um, thread and as the waters cool cover the And Restore 7 on the... Oh, uh, yeah, on the uh, sleeve. You can see it easier on the darker one, obviously. Yeah, right here. Restore, restore seven. 7. So, all right. right That's as much as we're going to do with that. Um, I'm yeah. excited about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, me too. And on that... Really, yeah, this is, this might be, kind of we're doing one year at a time. That might be the end of oh, yeah. the batch of the merch anyway. So there's Yeah, some... we don't have a lot of these left, so they are going to sell out. Um, we actually keep a, a um, shelf of them in our garage. <laughs> That's where we're storing everything. And we're ready to get that shelf cleared off so that for the spring, we can create some new um, shirts for you guys. So... This is kind of uh, the end of this. The run. end of this. This, yeah. This is. Yeah. Get, it, get so, it while you can. So we both are holding a book, the Seven Mountain Renaissance. Maybe in one of our programs, we might have mentioned it before. Vision and strategy through 2050, and this is a book. Don't bother looking for it, because <clears throat> unless somebody has it on, I haven't noticed. I haven't checked to see if anybody has it on used books available. You know how they have. Yeah. But. We have, we're sold it's out. out of print. Yeah. <clears throat> it's out of print. And we do have, um, we do have it available as a down, what do you call it? PDF download? Yeah. So we are not reprinting this book and you can tell them why in just a second, but um, <clears throat> it is available as a PDF download on our website, restore7.org. But we're actually going to give you, and if you watched Elijah streams this week, then you know um, we made the same offer Johnny did. We are going to give you chapter two for free, and that's what we're going to speak out of today. No, chapter five. I keep saying chapter two. You've been chapter the five. Chapter two, but it's chapter five. Yeah. Chapter five, and all you have to do is go to restore7.org backslash free. Yeah. Restore7.org backslash free, and um, you will actually be added to our email that way, but you will receive the whole free download of the chapter five that we're going to talk to you out of today. If you like that and you would like to go read the entire PDF version, then on our bookstore, restore7.org, you can purchase, um, I think it's $8, $7.99, the um, PDF of the entire book. But why aren't we reprinting this? Can okay, so this that? is simultaneously, I think, We've thought, I know you've announced it before, your favorite thing that I've written. That was before we did probably The Rise, the last thing put together, which is extracting from several books into one. But this is the more in-depth. It's a book I took the longest to write, two or three years, really accumulating everything. And it was, so we released it in 2015, so that's been seven years. But I started it two, three years before then. Mm -hmm. And so... In the discovery of everything we've discovered, um, particularly in the last couple of years, there are certain things 
Um, there's certain names I probably wouldn't endorse in the way I did before. Certain things uh, I wouldn't endorse. Plus, there's just so much discovery of of history and what really happened, and added to what I had discovered in history that it just seems, you know, whether we redid it, which we're going to, I'm going to be doing a kingdom book instead, <clears throat> a total kingdom book. And, and uh, we'll take out of, out of here the best parts. But it is clear, like this chapter on the mountain of religion is 50 pages long. And it's the one, it's the chapter of Heard, we'll say the most beyond glowing reviews. People say this should be obligatory reading for the body of Christ. And it goes into understanding really trends uh, of the last 400 years, I say two rivers that have been fighting against each other in the body of Christ. One more about order, one more about freedom, one more about things of the spirit, one thing's more about behavior, and one more, uh, you know, recognized in the person of George Fox, that would be the spirit stuff, and one more recognized in the person of John Calvin. And so these two things have been warring against each other, and it's all, so out of this book, this book is, you know, a gold mine, but it would be inappropriate just to leave it as it is because there are some things that need to be changed, enhanced, and added to it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that it's definitely worth reading the book. Um, the reason why we wouldn't reprint it from my perspective is that the things that you said in here are accurate. They're prophetically accurate and perceptive. But they're so understated <laughs> compared to the level of evil that we have seen and, and be, been encountering. And so it feels like to put it out there, it's almost like not strong enough. And um, so we thought about like just having him update the book and, and everything. But um, just for a variety of reasons, we're going to extract some of the key chapters out of here and pull those forward into the next book, but it's definitely worth getting, it's definitely worth us giving attention to. So today we're going to talk about, um, so we, I think we've mentioned it probably more than once in, a, in our up for discussion episodes, just because it's a recurring theme, this thing of going from church mindedness to kingdom mindedness. And, and it's kind of even cliche conversation we'll say in the body of Christ right now. Well, it's not about the church anymore. It's about the kingdom. And so we want to just go a little deeper in that, and we're going to, we're going to extract some things from uh, from this book, Renaissance, in our Mountain of Religion chapter. And because I had talked about there would be four primary shifts and adjustments that would be made, and this was one of them. This was, uh, I call them trends, I guess. This was trend number two, transitioning from church-mindedness to kingdom-mindedness. So we want to look into that and and uh, kind of use this as our our guidepost for this conversation but feel like some really important um, uh, you know clarifications on the difference and what they are uh, because this is not a bad mouthing of the church right. but it is an ex uh, accentuating of the kingdom that needs to be made and what we would like you to know and not just have, yeah, you know, it's more, it's kingdom age, not church age, but you be able to, at least for your own internal processing thinking, be able to know what that means. And 
And wouldn't you say, I mean, I've heard you say this, that the greater always includes the lesser. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the kingdom, we're not, we're not, not talking about the church. We're talking about the church in the context of the bigger picture of the kingdom and not just hyper-focusing in on the church that can exist technically apart from any thought of the kingdom. And so you're saying, let's be, let's center our thinking around the kingdom, which includes the church, but it's the church in the context of the bigger picture of the kingdom. Yeah. And that will, yeah, it will be self-explanatory as we go, as we go. We have just a total of a couple of pages that we'll extract from. I'll read, and we might just see if this works, Elizabeth. I'll read kind of the first chapter, I mean, the first paragraph, Mm -hmm. and then we'll see if we want to uh, deliberate on anything to do there, and then maybe you do, do the next one. Sure. So, one aspect of revival thinking is all about the church. When you expand the purpose of revival into reformation, then you also expand into a kingdom-first focus. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew six thirty three. So again, the kingdom of God is about a way of doing things and not just about conversion transactions. Mm-hmm. So by conversion transactions, we'll just say, you know, you get an opportunity to raise your hand. Anybody like to receive Jesus? Yes, that's a conversion transaction. And so we want to say that the kingdom of God is more than that. It includes that. That's what back to what you're saying, Elizabeth. It, inc- it includes that, so it's good. Revival is often thought of, uh, you know, a move of God where people are getting saved. <clears throat> it can be more than that. It can be about being, uh, you know, infilled with the Holy Spirit. It, revival means different things, different people. But primarily revival is people getting saved. And that is, that is, that is good, but when, we, when we're talking kingdom, it expands to advancing his way of doing things in every area of society. Again, that will be more in the conversation here. It's his culture. It's in, I think of a, a good analogy or picture of that as when you think about the olden days uh, or, you know, shows, movies that you watch that show like a king and his kingdom and then their citizens, you know, saying that it's just about souls would be the equivalent of saying that a king and his kingdom back in the day was just all about getting people to become citizens. Yeah. I, I mean, citizens yeah, right. to what? Yeah. Like, what What are they becoming citizens of? This, it's the yeah. overall culture. It's, it's, you would know the heart of the king by the environment that he created for the citizens to live in. If the king helped the citizens to feel protective because he had, you know, all the things they do to protect a territory. If if the king made sure that they had their need, their basic needs met, that there was a good system of justice, that there was access for education, we're basically talking about the seven mountains. It's the culture of the king. It's the king's domain, his way of ruling and reigning that affects the citizens. Really good. You want to read that? Next paragraph. The reason that a church focus presently dominates and permeates the mountain of religion is that churches are, by and large, led by pastors. When pastors lead, they think of their mission in terms of my church. 
A true pastor is wired with many great qualities, but it's totally unnatural and therefore rare for him to think at a macro city church level. This is why the biblical model for church leadership is first apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we can pause there for a couple of things there. And again, it's not intended to be an insult, but a pastor will think and will address more as we, we advance here. My church or my network or my network where even my satellite churches can, can be a part of, it's going to be just natural for a pastorally minded individual as opposed to someone who is apostolic. And that having been built on the foundations of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, again, we're not so much about having to restore the titles. Now, some think it's important to restore the titles of apostles and prophets. I think we've done a better job at restoring the titles than we have. <laughs> the reality. <laughs> the reality. Um, yeah, there was, you know, a joke for a while that you could go to any conference of a certain niche of the body of Christ, throw a rock in any direction, and you'd hit an apostle on the head. And so it's it's been, you know, it's sometimes, very often, it's just someone who is just a pastor. He thinks, my, my little kingdom, my little network, my little everything, but he's needed to add, uh, he's needed to add a bigger title to who he is. And so he's no longer just pastor somebody, he's apostle. But we're talking about, um, when we say apostles and prophets, and I think we, again, a lot of this will be uh, self-explanatory as we read this. I, I want to just say up front, apostles and prophets are a different way. They're a gift of seeing the kingdom is what I see from yeah. both uh, uh, apostles and prophets. So there's a gift, they're wired for it. And so an apostle sees the city, he sees the, the macro in the picture of it all. And same same thing with someone who's, we'll say, a true prophet. And that, in the way that they're describing that the church is built upon apostles and prophets. And what I think you say that, um, okay, that's thinking of the local church. When you look at the big picture of the church being all of us who follow Jesus, would you say that we're all wired in one of these five ways like it's our our strong bent is being more pastorally minded or more apostolically minded more prophetically minded um and if so then it's it's all are important of course and even in a in a local church setting you know we've experienced this johnny has a more apostolic and prophetic wiring and so when we put him god did for a temporary time in a pastoral role of a church, there were, there was a lot of friction um, for his heart because he was he knew the importance of having a pastoral heart where you're looking at the needs of that immediate in the four walls of the of that local body, looking at those needs, but yet his heart wiring was more out here. And I love the way you explain that on Elijah's dreams, where it's like a general of an army, you know, is 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 not going to be weighed down with, shouldn't be weighed down with the needs of each individual soldier. He's got to be focused on the strategy of the big picture, the vision part of it. And so it's not just for the sake, 
Like God, I love this about the kingdom and the king's ways. However he does things, it's it's all because he loves us so much and he, he knows how he created us, how he wired us, and how we function best. And so the church func- functions best, the local church functions best, the kingdom functions best when people aren't just given titles, but they're actually functioning in the role that they are wired to function in. And when, when not, it just creates sometimes a big mess. Sometimes that's the bigger issue of church splits or churches having all these problems. Um, is yeah. People not being in their proper role. That's good. And let me read some more because some of this yep. we're going to, and it's fine. We'll read, we'll double hit because we'll be, we'll, we'll be talking on things and then realize we're going to read it again, but that's, that's okay. Cause we want this uh, to register at a, at a real level where we have some takeaways. Both true apostles and true prophets are gifted with macro vision and see all they do in the context of society, culture, city, nation, and God's master narrative. The word apostle in the original Greek was not religious terminology. It was a military word used for the military leader that was in charge of bringing the culture of Rome to the most recently defeated nations and tribes. Rome had discovered that the defeated nations and tribes would rebel and seek to revert back to their old identities unless Roman culture was intentionally transfused into the region. Therefore, an apostle, I think in the Greek apostolio or something like that, was sent to make sure that not only did a people militarily submit, but that they also would begin to culturally reflect Rome by speaking the same language, using the same money, adopting the same holidays, and so forth. Actually, Elizabeth, just read that next paragraph, then we can comment on those things together again. That God would transform and commission his 12 disciples into 12 apostles tells us that he not only wanted conversions, but he also wanted heaven's ways of doing things to begin to be implemented. He wanted heaven's culture on earth. A local pastor in the truest sense has a basic inability to think that broadly, which is precisely what makes him so good at loving the local sheep. We definitely want true pastors, and we definitely don't want to resent or negate them. Resent. Resent. (laughs) Or resent. (laughs) Resent or negate them. It's just that they are mismatched for the role they're generally expected to play. Militarily, it's sort of like the MASH unit doctor trying to fulfill the role of the general. And that's what you were just bringing yeah. up a little bit ago. You know, the mass units, for those uh, who don't know, are you from another country? Like, what's a mass unit? Well, that was mobile. It's a mobile hospital on the battlefield. I forget exactly what the A and the SH and all stand for. And so what is awesome in the mass, in the, in the mass tent is horrible on the battlefield. So, you know, I guess we got exposed to it. Some in our culture, those who used to watch the old, as a sitcom comedy mash. And so it was about those who operated in a tent and they're bringing in the wounded all the time. So it's focus on the wounded, who's been shot, who's been wounded, how bad are they mm-hmm. wounded? Right. And, and so, yeah, the application I was making on Elijah's streams, you know, the difference between, we'll say a pastor and apostle, if you, you know, it's oversimplification, overgeneralization, um, but the pastor will be, he'll be the one in the tent saying, oh, you poor thing. And if there's the love because of what you've 
you know, that's, he's trying to take care of with your soul wound or, or whatever is, whatever it is. And the general, to over generalize his, his word to you is charge because he's not given to you inside the tent. He's actually executing the battle commission, the battle assignment, the bigger picture. So if you see that applied to what we're talking about in the church, you would see why someone who is, is you know, best at showing the love of Jesus will say in a very personal way, um, is often not the one wired to think in that other other way. It can, you know, when you try to do both, that's basically what I was doing. We were uh, pastoring for a long time. I'd have to switch hats. We'd say, put on pastoral hat, put on apostle hat. And they would be in conflict with each other. It was good to, uh, to uh, you know, it was a good to experience them both, but there would be times when I just didn't want to challenge. If I wore the the, the pastor hat too much, I didn't want to challenge the people to the actual assignment, to step beyond their hurts and wounds. I would be like, they're just doing good, just showing up in church with all they've gone through. And so you, you, uh, you just get off of what is the kingdom assignment that we have. And so that was why it was important for us to, um, uh, to then put the apostle, we'll say, prophetic, apostolic hat back on and then challenge all of us to be back in our mission. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you don't provide the salt of his presence, his solutions into every area of society, it's going to rot. No matter, you know, yes, you need to get taken care of. If you're overly, if you're just too wounded, yes, go to the mash tent. Get some inner healing, whatever, you know. So I think this might be a little sidetrack, but just a question for you. And if if you get to it later, because I didn't reread this section right. clearly before we started. Um, but would you say then, like, what's a solution for that for the local church? I know we're talking about the bigger picture of switching from church-mindedness to kingdom-mindedness. Local church is still important. Would you say that that the local church obviously still needs to be, they need to hear the bigger picture vision. Would you say that ideally a church would have pastors on staff that are, that are doing the pastoral work with, with people and getting in the nitty gritty of their lives. But then you also have apostles and prophets on staff that are maybe leading the charge in the, in the bigger sense. Well, that are affecting the city? Yeah, in a totally ideal form, yes, you want to fulfill what the Scripture says. Leaning uh, first apostles and prophets, other places it'll tell us, might, we might come up to that too, that it says first apostles. You want to have the people that can operate as generals. They see the whole picture. Again, you can imagine back to the battle scene. If a general looks in the tent and sees too much... Um, of too many the of the wounds, mm -hmm. he can't he can't think anymore of how do we proceed forth with what we got to do. See that that military perception is just um, the analogy there is just so good because we wouldn't know it unless we went to war. But you kind of go to a war movie and you hear about it. You have to fight the battles. Part of one of the things you like to say is what well, we're born into a war zone. Mm -hmm. So we're in a war zone. So there's no 
you know, the enemy does not stop fighting because you're wounded or sick. And so there's no, there's no timeout. Mm-hmm. Timeout. We want to get everybody healed and better right. in the body of Christ first. In this yeah. church, we all need to get healed first. And then, then we're going to show up. No, we have to have both fronts going. Mm-hmm. You have to have the pastoral front mm-hmm. of caring because your, your army does have to get better so they can show up. So it validates that part, but it's supposed to operate again. We have a reverse. We have a, a, a mass unit dominant church culture society. Right. We'll come here and get better. Then, you know, if you get better, good enough, then, you know, do something, do something for the kingdom. Bring some more you, people to church. Yeah, some <laughs> of you are going to be called to be pastors and leaders and missionaries. Yeah. It's like, no, this is 100%. We're all involved. In this, and so back to the ideal you're talking about, it would be to have, again, it's not about the title, but it's the function, the function of someone, whether he calls himself uh, a, a apostle or not. There, there are, there are pastors. We know pastors who call themselves pastors, but f- they're able. They're to apostolically see. minded. Yes. Yeah, that's everybody their in the church calls them pastor, but they 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 they're functioning with the apostle. It's yeah. rare, but yeah. Yeah, it's rare. Um, and we know it's people that follow us a lot and listen and to us. And it has nothing they, to do with the size of the church. I mean, there are small churches that are very, they're led by an apostolic leader who is, and the thing about apostle that I think is important to bring up again, I know I've got, got a soft track here, but, um, the apostle is the thumb on the hand, right? So it's the only one that touches all of them. And so to be apostolically wired, it means you, you've you probably gone through a process with the Lord where you're also able to think pastorally, think like a teacher. You're capable of going all directions. Yeah, yeah. think like an evangelist and think like um, a prophet. And, and yet your overarching wiring is apostolically. Anyway, there, it's obviously that's a long discussion that we're all having with the Lord right now because we're headed towards... The local church becoming a healthier place where this works the way it's supposed to. But here we go. No, this is good. So re- if you know where we left off, yeah. if a church, read that, Elizabeth, because this is this is going to continue on this theme and it's good. If a church is going to be kingdom minded and raise kingdom focused people, then it must be led by the primary voice of an apostle. Presently, many who carry the title of apostle are just insecure pastors with baggage and extra pride. However, that will change. There are still real apostles, and they will continue to increase and populate the church until we are more in line with the biblical mandate of apostles first, with the other gifts following. See Corinthians, see First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. And let me read this. Um, this is a longer paragraph. Then yeah. let's we reintroduce our comments. Once a church, a movement, or a denomination is led by an apostle who sees from the macro perspective, the meta-narrative, we will begin to experience a much greater advance of the kingdom of God at large. The size of the apostles' personal ministry will be a secondary matter. Many of the largest churches in the world have almost no apostolic influence on culture, on the culture, and is because they are led by either a very charismatic pastor or someone who knew how to leverage marketing in order to grow. And I'll just stop there for a minute without finishing the the paragraph yet. We've actually seen the reality of the last two years or so that it is 
the, the large churches, the mega churches, the big churches that are in fact, rather than being the ones that are able to release kingdom culture, they were the ones that capitulated the most to not just the culture, but to the agenda, a really dark agenda, a depopulation agenda, a control agenda. And so you rarely hear the term courage and megachurch in the same sentences. They just don't come together. Today, megachurches are not known for their courage. They're flexible. Meaning like been, taking a stand yes. and risking whatever to do the right thing and to encourage and challenge their congregation to do the bold, courageous thing. And usually there's so many people there that there's they're trying to bend in every way, be flexible in every direction. How can they be left Don't offend and right? anyone. How can you yeah. be uh, Democrat, Republican, leftist, rightist? How can you avoid going on the record and on anything? And so we found just the, the horror uh, beyond, it was already horrible um, having to do with everything, with the vaccination, with the COVID, uh, the control that government imposed on everyone. And then we had this recent, after Roe v. Wade, I don't know what percentage. We know we heard, heard here in Nashville that the largest six churches refused to acknowledge any kind of positive thing that took place with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Well, I'd say publicly, like on their social media. They, they, I've, I heard of a couple that did something kind of more behind the scenes. No, no, well, I don't. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. That's not one of the six largest. Um, okay. We're talking about the six largest. And that one, depending on numbers, it's, it's a large church, but not necessarily like mega church. But what makes a mega church not be able to even... Yeah. Make the stand and say, wow, that was a righteous ruling. That was good. And it's because there is so much bowing to pressures. The sheep, they think they're bowing to the sheep, but they have the sheep being the congregation, the people themselves. Um, they, they, they just have, um, um, they just put it succinctly. They have just not been ineffective. They have not been effective apostolic churches at all and so there were some there were some but we're saying by and large um we you know we could i could tell uh, they're not quite a mega church either somebody who stood up one or two stood up actually took cases all the way to the supreme court for freedom and things like that that's that's great but so it's not about the size that is important so we have people that the, they get big churches and they call themselves apostles because they have a big church but meanwhile they have become no more courageous at all. All right, so let's pick back up. The masses are often drawn into adulation of gifted people, but if the gifted one does not also equip them for real life and for influencing the culture, then it is a tragically wasted opportunity. These leaders may have effectively accomplished the first step of attracting a potential army, but they have failed to train, equip, and deploy them. It could have been added Front. They've failed to validate, train, mm -hmm. equip, and deploy them. A true apostle will always care more about training, equipping, and deploying than about the size of the crowd that follows him. Large congregations are notorious for being spectators rather than participants, and sadly that's often because it satisfies the demands of the charismatic 
leader's ego. Having a large congregation makes you famous on earth, but a crowd of nodding heads does nothing for a community or city. When you are a leader involved in training, equipping, and deploying, it makes you known in heaven. Soon there will be great churches that excel at both. These leaders who truly seek first the kingdom of God will be satisfied with nothing less than Reformation-minded congregants. Any comments on that, Elizabeth? No, just so good. I love the what you said here. Having a large congregation, and I mean, you could say any size congregation, makes you famous on earth, but a crowd of nodding heads does nothing for a community or city. You know, I, I, I would hope that there's some pastors that are watching, and whether your church is large or small or in between, this is just a good reminder for our hearts, for anyone in ministry. It's just because people are agreeing with you doesn't mean that you're doing something affecting your community or your city. And what I hear you saying in essence is apostolic means you are actually having an impact in your community and your city. Um, now, okay, so what if large churches that have like you know, they have funds set aside where they, um, you know, feed the homeless and they um, maybe do outreach for unwed moms or whatever. And so they would say, well, we're having impact in our community and our city in this way. Well, Is that what you're talking about? Well, yes and no. It, having impact, showing the love of Christ, you can still be pastoral in your community. So they're probably, if they're a big pastoral church, they're probably being pastoral in their community. But when you're pastoral in your community, you will usually be focusing your attention on what we would say is the bottom of the mountain. So you want to give sandwiches to the poor and the needy, the wounded. That's a beautiful thing. And that's always part of Jesus' ministry. He Rather was, than affect the tops of right. the mountains where it's the structure that's creating the poverty, that's creating the wounds. And so, and that's been the reality of church is that we have ignored that. We picked up, it's legitimate, it's legitimate ministry and call the pastoral part is legitimate. And, but Jesus' first message was, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, then he says, it's not to be held under a candlestick. It's not to be hid in you know, the four walls of a church under a steeple. You put it on a lampstand so that the whole city mm-hmm. all can see. So if once you think of, um, when you think of light and lights and in, in high places, again, this is not about hobnobbing. It's not about spiritual hobnobbing and desiring influence and not just being willing to do the other. But there is, this is where an apostle will naturally begin to look and see. It's like, he'll ask questions of, what's the direction of my city? Is What can I do about it? And who can I connect with? So a, a, an apostolic leader doesn't look at other churches as competition. That's one way, if you just want to self-test, if you look at other churches around you as competition, you're most likely probably a pastor as opposed to an apostle. Apostle thinks of these are assets that could work with us um, in order to bring change to on structure systems. In the broken areas of culture. You know, I'm sensing just like a tactic of the enemy that I think is worth talking about for a second. 
Um, I'm such an external processor yeah, that I don't is. know how to say it until I start saying it. So just forgive me as I like figure this out. Um, all right. If the enemy can't stop you, then he takes advantage of your unique wiring, right? Mm -hmm. And so I look back a little bit in history and I think, I think the true pastorally hearted men and women in our nation um, and in the nations of the world, they, they quickly got relegated by Satan through this evil agenda that we're seeing in society, relegated to you just stay focused on cleaning up our mess, basically. Like we're gonna we're gonna ruin these structures of society. That's, that's kind of brilliantly said, sweetie. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> just I don't know what's gonna come out. The the we're just gonna ruin these areas of society. You, you just stay down here and clean everything up. Meanwhile, this is the kicker. We're going to put some very key charismatic, um, not like spirit-filled, but like people that draw. We're going to set up some key voices with wrong intentions. And I'm not going to name names, but I think these are some that will be coming out in the days to come. But we're going we're gonna to get behind them and see that they have all the influence in the big picture, make them look like the apostolic voices, right? But they're not really going to truly be apostolic in their heart because they're going to they're gonna over-communicate things like rapture. They're going to over-communicate things like the prosperity gospel. They're going to over-communicate in these areas that, that the sheep are going to be easily drawn to Meanwhile, you've got the true pastoral-hearted people cleaning up the mess and no, no generals, no apostles in place that truly are noticing, oh my goodness, the structures of society, the kingdom itself is not advancing in this structure and in this structure and in this structure. We are losing ground in the battlefront. Meanwhile, we're looking like we're all accepted and loved because we've got all these several big voices going on that are famous and we get behind them and we give them lots of money to go feed the starving mm -hmm. in Africa and, you know, clean up the mess. Yeah. And so it's not, you know, I don't hear you saying this, but I just want to emphasize again, pastorally minded people are not the problem. Not at all. It's, it's the, it's the relegating of leaders in the body of Christ to clean up the mess of the of the structures of society. No, that was really well said. Again, back to the military and you know, thinking the mil in, in a, through the, the military paradigm. Yeah, is if yes, you want the people. Well, you want you want the mesh tent, the mm -hmm. doctors, a unit. You even want sergeants, corporals, all all the other that are looking over uh, the. Partially, kind of a little bit of both, because they have to determine if someone is even too wounded to function on the field, or should they go back, or should, should they, they yes. be taken out completely? But you have to the the whole attention of the apostles and prophets is you cannot be an army if you don't have generals, if you don't have that level captains and generals, you have to have them there, yeah. and it doesn't. We're not taking away from everybody else's. 
uh, value. In fact, the cap captains and generals without that can't do anything either. So, so here's the last paragraph um, on it, okay. a shorter one. It, it's covering some matters we've already been talking about. Kingdom-mindedness is about getting the salt of influence into society. Church-mindedness is about salt being in the shaker and every grain of salt being accounted for and fought over with the other salt shakers. Now, every <laughs> grain of, of salt being the congregants being accounted for and fought over with the other salt shakers. The other salt shakers are churches. Kingdom thinking has you occupied with getting light into the city as Jesus instructed. Church thinking has you trying to extend only your own church's fame. Kingdom thinking is more concerned about the nine to five Monday through Friday window, whereas church thinking just wants to have a successful meeting, successful Sunday meeting, and of course, a great offering. Renaissance, this is where there's a little prophetic sentence, Renaissance, this time of era of Renaissance, Renaissance that's coming, will come to the church as a kingdom, as kingdom thinking grows, creating a trend for the next several decades. If you remember again, vision and strategy through 2050 was what the name of this book is. So we were ex explaining that this is a trend, a transition that is happening. And we understand that even the great disappointment we've had that many have had in the church in the last two years is conducive towards this trend growing. So many, you know, so many is like, I can't go to church. I can't go to my church anymore. They were total cowards. They were, they totally bought into the lies. They bought into the restriction. They bought into the loss of freedom. Um, they lost all vision. They had nothing to say. They had no hope to give. They had nothing. They and, won't go on the record related to election fraud. They won't go on the record related to the issue of um, vaccines. I mean, all this stuff that, that we all know, but won't be said from the leadership. Right. And just all these things, you know, and again, we haven't even taken the time to go into how dangerous and the vaccine and the continued advancement of the vaccine is. And we hesitate to say it all because we, we know people have gotten We don't want to cause fear. fear. Yeah. But apart from intervention from the Lord, they have assured a significant percentage the statistics of statistics are coming yeah, out that are of deaths in the in, in in the coming days and weeks and months and even years through what they did. And meanwhile, the lack of leadership of spiritual leadership, pastoral leadership, church leadership to be the ones telling on this. The whistleblowers are not. Why aren't the pastors whistleblowers? The pastors fear they're going to lose some group of their people. And so we have the whistleblowers being the courageous people who risk their jobs. They risk their livelihoods. They risk everything. We have whistleblowers coming out everywhere. Which but should not, be the leadership of the body be, of Christ. Yes. While we're on the subject of the vaccines, I want to tell you guys... Um, there are ways that they're discovering that you can detox your body from the vaccine. And I think it's actually really, really important because there's a kingdom to advance. We want to all be here long enough to do our part and play our role and be healthy and strong enough to do it. And we don't want to cause fear in you guys, but we do want to like 
you know, educate you on things that we have found out. Maybe you've seen it yourself. One that I saw recently, um, if you go to Flyover Conservatives on Rumble or on their website, um, they're all over the place. They're all over social media. Flyover Conservatives, our good friends, David and Stacy Whited. I say good friends. We're getting to know them. And um, we really like a lot of what they talk about and who they bring on their programs Recently, they had um, someone on, and it should be in one of, very clearly in one of their titles. Um, I'll I'll put the link actually here. Um, but they this is a, a doctor that comes on and talks about specifically how you can detox your body from the vaccine. And I think it's important to do if you did have the vaccine or the boosters or anything like that. Do your part in helping your body um, get rid of. The negative effects of it. I believe that the Lord also wants to help us supernaturally, but to me, it's like putting your seatbelt on. You do the things you know to do, and then you ultimately say, Lord, you're the deciding factor here, but you want to you want at least do your part. So maybe we close. I'm going to read one more paragraph, Elizabeth, that is kind of, I did a special note. It's uh, on apostolic and prophetic churches because I've then spoken to um, a new a new type of church that will be coming the different there's going to be micro churches and 24/7 churches stadium churches and all this when things are really moving and but it's it's uh, relevant to the topic we're doing and then any final uh, comment you have and again that. all of this that we're reading from today is from the free chapter um, chapter five of the Renaissance book and Go to restore7.org backslash forward slash whatever, some kind of slash free. And we will send you this chapter for free. So then you can read this. It's a much, I mean, we've just barely scratched the surface of all that is in the chapter that we're giving you for free. So here is the special note on apostolic and prophetic churches. This is a unique niche of churches that is presently exploding all over the globe. These churches attempt to intentionally fulfill the biblical paradigm of apostle and prophet leadership. That is a very bold endeavor, and this group of churches will be a most important one to observe. They will make some of the greatest blunders with their new models, but out of this stream will ultimately come the greatest foundations for the advancing church. Out of this classification of churches will come the models that show the greatest ability to advance the kingdom of God in a sustainable way and properly champion the reformation of society. Many of the early mistakes among churches in this niche have had to do with overemphasizing titles over function and with authoritarianism. As the years pass, there will be ongoing upgrades in this reformation-minded group. And notice this. This is from the book. It's a book that I wrote nine, this is when I was writing nine years ago. And by 2030, we will have New Testament caliber apostles and prophets leading some of these networks. That's exciting. Uh, it's exciting because that was a long time, a, a, a long term and a long time away. Um, but we are now getting, well, you know, it's just eight, eight years away. And even this whole book, we've identified the Seven Mountain Renaissance, is that for these shifts and changes to come where we identified, identified that by the year 2050, we would have 
at least 50 nations operating primarily to the light of the sons of God. I knew even when I was writing, I was like, what is going to have to happen for us to get out of the rut of what we're in mm-hmm. and to have even that be a possibility? Right. And literally what we're going through, the pain of the moment, difficulty of it all, is key towards that. And I'm just going to add for a minute as well. One of the reasons, because some are going are gonna to notice this, even if you get this chapter, there's going to be a trend I talk about, I'll say trend number five, unprecedented unity. And in it, one of the controversial things I say, and it's why I have to remove it, uh, this was a perspective then. I was like, the fear of being ecumenical, and I was giving an example that, for instance, Pope Francis is a genuine Christian with a true heart. Mm-hmm. And, and for love and respect and unity in the body of Christ, and he has reached across the Christian aisle. Well, there is... There's different perspectives. We'll say there is an entirely other perspective. We know, we'll say the, the Catholic Church at its highest level, I think I even say that, has for a very, very long time been uh, with problems dysfunctional. We've actually in the last couple of years found out way, way, way worse about how all that is. I wrote that um, back then um, years ago, like I said, seven, nine years ago. And it was, it was based on what was known at that time of Pope Francis. We know that, uh, you know, there's Stacy Campbell actually prophesied over him when he was just hermano Jorge in, in Argentina and told him he would be um, a Pope and the Lord on him. And I had friends, um, we'll say our charismatic pastor friends, who met with him on a regular basis. And he was always for the unity. He didn't know he was going to be Pope, and he was for unity. He was for things of the Spirit. He said he spoke in tongues, and he was very humble. And and then I had somebody else who actually worked in the Vatican, had interaction with him, and talked about how he was, his character, humility. I saw message message where he spoke directly to young people, millions of young people in a messaging in Brazil. And he said, I want to challenge you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, and so if all those things are the truth, then yes, he's a great brother and we can take it innocently. But I don't know. I mean, I've heard. Supposedly. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard men of God that have led people through yeah, tears yeah, yeah. into a relationship with Jesus Christ and behind closed doors, they were molesting children. And so I'm not saying that about him. I'm just saying even though someone preaches the right thing and has humility and all of that, I I don't know. I don't know. I feel like what is hopefully what we're going to see in the coming months, I don't know, is, is clear proof on some of these big names like who you're talking about. I just don't know. I don't want to, I'm trying so hard to stay neutral about some of these, these people, but basically what you're saying about this chapter that, and some other things you say in the book, I think that it, it even connects to another subject that I have a personal rub with. I feel like we're so hungry for the prophetic that we look at people that are prophetic like Johnny 
And we hang on every word. I love you, honey, but I'm just, just being real here. Are you starting another show on us here? No. <laughs> no. We hang on every word and we think that everything that comes out of their mouths that they say or they write, they're prophesying, but it's not true. They can actually have opinions as people oh, yeah, that people. may be right or wrong. That yeah. may be right or wrong. So this book is filled with prophetic insights, stuff the Lord showed him that so far I believe has been accurate. Yeah. But it's also filled with a lot of his opinion and his personal based perspective. Based on what I saw at the time, yeah. Based on what he perceived at the time. He had no clue, for example, when God told him that Trump would be rescuing us from things we didn't even know we needed to be rescued from. He had no idea the depth no, of what that word rescue prophetic. would mean, right? Yeah. But if he had tried to write a book on that, he might have written a book on, you know, he's going to rescue us from some economic difficulties or whatever. He would have he would have included to his attached to his prophetic insight some personal perspective and opinion. And that's what prophetic people do. We have to be more discerning and know. And if we don't know, then ask them questions. We're, and that's one thing I so love about Steve Schultz is that he'll ask these prophetic voices are Not all the time, but sometimes he'll say like, okay, is this your opinion or is this something that God actually showed you? And was it like in a dream or what? He tries to kind of drill down in, into he'll it. Say, Are you prophesying this? And it is important, that differentiation there. It is. And I think we're learning that from this side as well. But all of that to say, you're going to find in this book a lot of great opinion and perspective that Johnny had that just wasn't, wasn't as complete as the initial prophetic sparks that in he light would say. of what we now know yes in like, light of what we now know which i think makes this an even better read for you because as you read it whether you just read the free chapter that's just like 50 something pages that we're going to send you or you get the whole pdf it will help you with your discernment because you're going to be able to clearly see wow johnny was right on that prophetic perspective but here it's obvious he was giving his opinion because it doesn't scratch the surface compared to how deep what we actually know now about for example some things going on in the catholic church so we love our catholic brothers and sisters this is not a slam on them we have our own issues in the evangelical church and evangelical church leaders. So it's we're all in this together yeah, but as with everything there's a lot of good things happen particularly at lower levels um, but at, there has been tons of infiltration at the high levels. Mm -hmm. And probably even my little chapter on unity, we know unity is a priority from Jesus' standpoint, but we're in a time where we need some clarification. Who's really... Who do you uh, unify uh, with? Yeah. yeah. You well, don't want to be suspicious, but... Differentiation of... It's just the discovery of... Because reports have come out on different people and leaders and movements. So you're like, we need to really see who they are in light of this little question that's been put upon, before we decide to do, uh, we've been just been much slower to connect and unite with certain people and situations and invitations I have as well. Because you hear something, you're like, I need to, I need to just wait on this one just a little bit. Anyway, so there we go. We're going from church mindedness to kingdom mindedness, and we've given you some ideas of how. Uh, what that looks like. And it should be something, some clear, simple takeaways. If Again, to say a simple takeaway, it's an emphasis, nine to five world, Monday through Friday, God in society. Um, that's a focus. It's about seeing the big picture, seeing cities, 
nations, not just your ministry, your church, your something. Those That's some simple um, review so on the whole thing. So. Excellent. Can you, how, how do you feel about praying for pastors, leaders in the church right now that, that their heart feels what you're saying, but they just don't know how to get there right now? Yeah. And maybe they even feel conviction over not having said more, or been more bold, um, you yeah. know? Well, Lord, we just thank you for this time together. We just thank you for this privilege to share with your people. And Lord, just what Elizabeth is bringing up, Lord, just for you know, pastors and leaders, those thinking about pastoring um, that might be listening at this time, Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, first of all, just assure them that when they fulfill the call of pastor, when they agree to be a shepherd, they are an under-shepherd to you, the great shepherd. Mm -hmm. And it actually is your responsibility when you call, when you give a vision, to be the source, to be the provision for that vision. And thank you, Lord, they don't have to think through the grid of, well, what would happen if this many people, these followers left the church? What would I do? provide for myself because Lord we know we know that's the world of particularly smaller churches and startup churches and sometimes not so small churches is just um, the fear of if you offend too many of your congregants at one time you could just be lose financial viability so Lord we just pray that you would um, give your pastors your leaders, men and women, that you would give them the courage, yes. the faith to believe that you will take care of them as they do what was right, yes. as they say what is right, as they stand, as they be rep as they are representatives of you and your ways, full of faith, mm -hmm. full of joy, fearless. Yes. Lord, that you would um, uh, that you would be the one who. Um, not just assures them that they wouldn't stumble financially, but even if they do, even if they lost something, even if they lose that position, that with you, it always is to take them to a higher place. And that mm -hmm. out of, we'll say, even a potential bad case ashes scenario of a situation where they where they lose their 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 place, that you would take care of them and you would take them to the new place and let them be a part of the new representation of your kingdom on earth. So Lord, just strengthen pastors and leaders that might be listening right now. Fill them with this courage. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord. It's just being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's why you told your, your disciples, your apostles, the original group, so like, don't even, don't even try to carry me in my kingdom without being filled with the Holy Spirit because he will give you power to be witnesses. He will give you the boldness and the strength to represent me, no matter what the cost. Lord, and that original group of leaders, they faced clear, not just persecution, not just people leaving their church, but death scenarios for uh, remaining in boldness. And so, Lord, we, we know this is a time for you to rebuild the courage of your leaders, of your pastors, kingdom courage. Mm -hmm. Let that be released mm -hmm. to your sons and daughters right now who are yes, listening. God. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to live in such a time as now, in the difficulty of it all, we thank you that you are transitioning us into an unprecedented age, mm -hmm. an era of display of your kingdom like has never been seen on planet earth. And we thank you for that privilege. 
and we um, we just say yes, Lord. We yes. say yes, Lord. Yes, we say yes, Lord, Lord to you, yes. to it, to all the help you're bringing us. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, um, the Lord just totally highlighted the word transition for mm. me, um, and that's. I don't think we even told them that the section of that chapter that you were reading from was called trans. It's one of the transitions, mm. right? There's five transitions mm. that you talk about, and it's one of the five transitions. That word transition, of course, connects to labor and delivery. You know, uh, the most painful part of labor is during the transition phase when you go from, you know, just laboring for hours potentially to the last, you know, hardest part where the seven centimeters of all things, seven centimeters is what they call transition. And I, I feel prophetically that um, as we're talking about what's happening in the world right now, we we're talking about obviously the kingdom of God advancing in the earth. That's, that's, that is the, the, the greatest narrative of any story. It, all these lesser stories play into that bigger story of the kingdom of God is advancing right now. And it shakes everything that can be shaken as it advances. Um, and, and during transition in labor is when a woman is most likely to want to quit. <laughs> and if she could quit, she would quit. That is when it would be during that seven centimeter transition time. I think you like to talk about this. I don't remember it, but he remembers me saying with justice when I was right at giving transition. birth to justice. I'm done now. I'm ready to go home now. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. You have to have a baby first. <laughs> so... I was just feeling to encourage leaders in the body of Christ right now. Um, some of you who are, you were born to lead at this time. You're not in a leadership position right now. And then some of you that are leaders, you are pastors, and you are just wanting to bail. You're wanting to quit. You're wanting to just walk away because you're so tired of everything we've just been talking about. You're like tired of it all. It cannot stay like it is. And, and you feel like you're part of something that's almost like false. Um, or you don't want to be a part of something that feels like less than you know that it's supposed to be. And I feel like the Lord just wants to encourage you. It's transition time. You want to quit, but it's actually about to change. It's about to transition. You're, you're not going to lead what was. You're going to lead what is and mm. what is coming. Good. And this is... This is the exciting time. Don't bail now. It doesn't mean if God's speaking to you to change what you're doing, don't change. I'm not trying to tell you not to go the direction the Lord's telling you to go. I'm just saying don't bail on your yes as a leader in the body of Christ. It might look different in the coming months and years, um, and different is good. But don't just walk away from it. Um you know, we're ones that usually focus on the other six mountains in in our in our equipping and our encouragement encouraging. But today I think we're really also encouraging those that are called to the birthing of justice. What does redemption look like on the mountain of religion, specifically the mountain of worship, the mountain of the house of the Lord? And it's gonna be an honor and an exciting position to be in in the years to come. Um, as a leader in the local church. So don't bail during transition. 
Really good. That's a really good word. Well, I think we got to let them go now. And we'll be back, Lord willing, next week on Up, Up for, for Discussion. discussion.